three, two, one. Oh, wait. Bang. Ah, <laughs> I applaud your enthusiasm. <laughs> the music is beginning, people. The music is beginning. Look at that. Come on, sit down, sit down, because the music's beginning. We're really excited, because any second now, we're going to say three, two, one. Go, we go. On the Emperor Podcast this week, we're live in Liverpool. Amazing. Hello, Pod. I am Jetlag's Chris Hewitt, and I am living proof that flying into the UK on the morning of a live show and then getting a four-hour fucking train up here is a really good idea because I feel super hyped, you guys. I'm really bringing a lot... A lot of energy. Anyway, welcome to the fourth week of the half-assed uh, <laughs> tour of the UK that doesn't actually go to many places in the UK. Once again, I have to apologize to Wales. Once again, hard lines, Birmingham. <laughs> Fuck you, Manchester. <laughs> know your audience. <laughs> That's what I always say. Anyway, this week we are in one of the greatest cities on earth, and that is a fact. Liverpool, very excited. My spiritual home, not my actual home, but my spiritual home. This is, of course, the birthplace of the Beatles. You may have heard of them. Four lovable lads from Liverpool who changed the world. Uh, What else? It is the home of the iconic movie, The 51st States. Anyone see that movie? I think I gave that movie four stars for Empire. I, I can't be sure. I was just swayed by a Liverpool shirt and went, yes, four stars, automatically. That's it. Uh, and it is, of course, home to two of the most iconic and historic football teams on the planet. My beloved Liverpool Football Club and Liverpool under-23s. <laughs> Apologies to any Evertonians in the room. Uh, that is my last football reference this podcast because this isn't a football podcast, you guys. This is a film podcast. If you want a podcast that rambles on about football, there's one down the road, apparently. They're here tonight as well, the football ramble. Uh, News to me. Uh, Anyway, we are loving the tour so far, but I have to say it is pretty grueling, pretty draining. We're four weeks in, and I am absolutely shattered. I am ready to have my coffin measured, if I'm completely honest with you. And, you know, I'm wondering now, four weeks in, I can see now how rock bands get through this stuff. (laughs) Basically, just a shitload of cocaine. And enough ketamine to floor an elephant. But no such luck for us, no such rock and roll excess for me and my colleagues of such lethal cunning, two of whom I am joined by today. We would have been joined by a third colleague of such lethal cunning, but sadly, they died on the way up here in a... (laughs) What I can only describe as a tragic cocaine and ketamine overdose. (laughs) R.I.P. Ben Travis. (laughs) It's always the quiet ones. <laughs> anyway, first up, please welcome our geek queen, who's a lady who doesn't need Class A drugs to get her through the night. All she needs is a steaming hot mug of cocoa, the Hamilton soundtrack on the stereo, and more Winchester nipples than she could possibly eat. Will you please welcome Helen O'Hara! Hello. Yeah. Love those nipples. I should qualify that statement. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, Jar. Hey, Jar. Oh, my God. Finally, 
is a man who doesn't need an artificial high. All he needs is to crush his enemies, see them driven before them, and hear the lamentations of the women. Oh, and of course, a West Wing box set. And I'm not making this up. As I wrote that intro on the train today, I glanced to my right, and what was he doing? He was watching the fucking West Wing. <laughs> Will you please welcome the walking self-parody that it is, James Dyer! Chris, Chris. Let Dyer be Dyer. I mean, I don't know what that means. It was a season seven episode, The Wedding. Oh, wondering. Anyway, welcome to the Emperor Podcast, everybody. Um, Shall we have some movie news? We're going to start with some movie news, and we're going to get to movie reviews, and then at the end of the show, you guys can ask us anything you like. Now, as is custom with the Empire Podcast. The second we finished recording last week's emergency podcast, because the sound quality of the York show was. Not to the required standard. Breaker, breaker. Uh, shall we say that it was, it was pretty bad? So we recorded an emergency podcast, and then five seconds after that, Kevin Feige, using the spy hole he must have in the Empire Podcast studio, released the information that Spider-Man is back in the MCU! Yeah. Oh, blessed relief! It's A proper so homecoming. Good. It's the best thing to happen to Holland since Virgil van Dyke. Oh, you you promised. I know, no but I, it just came to me no. in the moment. But, anyway, um, but what's really cute is a few days later it came out that uh, allegedly, anyway, this is due to Tom Holland personally begging Tom Rothman and Kevin Feige to kind of, you know get back together and make this work. And I just love the idea that no one can say no to his little face. <laughs> so cute. Little cherubic face. Oh. I hope he left him increasingly fucking violent and <laughs> obscene voicemail messages. He's got a dark side. Yeah, he's got a real dark side. Mm. Listen, Rothman, I'm going to fuck you up. That, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't see it. No? Really you don't, see, don't it? see it? Do you see it more as a sort of rom-com where Tom Rothman and Kevin Feige are the star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. who can't yes. quite see that they're perfect for each other. And he's and the Tom puppy ha- dog. He's the matchmaker. He's the puppy dog. Oh my God, he's Marley. Together. Oh my God, Tom Holland's going to die. <laughs> no, it's going to be fine. Spoiler. It's going to be fine. It's going to be, it's going to be Perdita and the other one in 101 Dalmatians. They all die as well. They don't. They Dogs do. have a really limited lifespan. No, they're going to be fine. Oh, God. They're okay. living on a farm upstate, okay? <laughs> they're fine oh, with Peggy and Steve. Oh, Jesus. Don't get me started. But anyway, we're very, very excited about this. Mm. This is huge. We were going to try and record something last week in reaction to this, but it was far too complicated. Uh, <laughs> Helen was running yet another marathon you know. last week. Uh, so now, how many? Seriously, how many marathons is that this year that you have run? Oh, this year I haven't done that many. I've done like six, but... Um, <laughs> what? But, I mean, and run is a very generous term for my speed. Uh, yeah, so 26 overall. But that's not the point. The point is, it, well, I, I wasn't there, but also you, you were busy. And I was he busy. was probably doing something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was difficult. Yeah. So let's talk about it now, because we are genuinely glad to see that this has been resolved. So, so glad. Yeah. This made me so sad that this wasn't going to happen. It really did. And it probably more than it should, given that I'm an adult human but uh but no but he's so charming i love that character and i love that they're not only going to do another spider-man and watts is not only going to direct it but also he's going to appear in whatever the next crossover oh he's going to appear in another one they haven't said it's a crossover he's going to appear in another mcu movie as well so we will see him again as spider-man at least twice 
Indeed, at least twice. So the terms of the agreement, uh, yes. I love talking financial terms uh, and <laughs> inside out. Please read from the contract. No, but it's, uh, so he's going to appear in a third Spider-Man movie, which mm. is great because the last one ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. Don't know if you guys mm. saw Far From Home, but I'm going to spoil it, obviously. And he's coming back for the third one in that. And, hey, Helen, do you remember I texted you a few months ago saying, yeah. I dreamt last night that they have made a Spider-Man movie in secret and they're going to release it in July 2020. You did text me I that, I was yes. just a year out. Ooh, yeah. spooky. Uh, so this is coming out in July 2021, yes. uh, which makes it the first year, 2021, to have four Marvel movies. In other words, oh, yes, please. Hog heaven for oh, me. Oh, it's release date porn. Oh, it Chris. is. It really is. I love release date porn. And just generally porn, uh, if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. Uh, but you're very excited about this. And uh, there's going to be another MCU movie. But Kevin Feige also said in his press statement, his press release, that uh, Spider-Man is the only superhero who has the power to cross universes. So I think they're Ooh. setting up the idea that he's going to basically save the Venomverse and so make it good. Some things. kind of, yes. I don't know, into the multiverse kind of huh. a... What? Thing. I'm, mm. just, I'm just spitballing here. It's an entirely original idea that no one's done before, but I think it could work. <laughs> That's the only thing I think would have made Spider-Verse better if Tom Holland had turned up like full Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews <laughs> in Mary Poppins <laughs> and just been a really awkwardly photographed human against a cartoon background. I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been fantastic. Uh, but there is speculation that this may be in the works, and Helen will explain why, that uh, the, because of Madam Web. Madam Web, yeah. So there's apparently a Madam Web spin-off being talked about. Has anybody come across this? I have no so idea what that is. Can anyone appeared, explain who she is? <laughs> she's a Spider-Man character, a Spider-Man universe character, um, who has... Uh, she, she doesn't technically have Spidey powers, but what she does have are a lot of... She's an elderly lady with serious health problems. Stay with me. <laughs> who is hooked up to a very elaborate sort of... Um, uh, life support machine that looks like a spider web and she's also a precog is this on the nhs um Can i mean you... you know not anymore if the tories get their way but oh, that's, that's the oh, political got uh, a bit political you. there um but yeah so she has clairvoyant powers and, and so she doesn't do any action herself but she will kind of support others as they go into action so she's kind of almost the marvel equivalent of oracle in the dc universe maybe um yeah. but it's an interesting character and it's interesting that this would be the one that they go to really and they have the writers of Morbius. Morbius on it, which is intriguing. So presumably there's a plan to kind of somehow tie it into that yes. leg, if you will, of the eight-legged Spider-Man universe. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Sure. Um, so that's, that's, it's interesting. Isn't it? it is interesting because I think, you know, I think we're all human. We've all made assumptions about Morbius. Uh, but <laughs> We made assumptions about Venom and that made like $800 million worldwide. Yes, but our assumptions were proved correct. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, I'm hopeful that the fact that they have hired the writers of Morbius, and I think it is, um, I'd have forgotten the names, but it's uh, Jeff Morbius and his good friend Keith Morbius uh, are the writers of that, that mm. movie. Uh, the fact that they have hired them again indicates either that they're A, cheap, <laughs> Or be good. good and yeah. Morbius has turned out well. And it's Christmas Eve, so let's assume it's good. <laughs> um, but the, the other thing I think is really nice about Madame Webb, in the cartoons, she was often voiced by Joan Lee, who Aww. was Stan Lee's wife. That's lovely. Um, which was lovely. So obviously she's not around anymore, sadly, to, to play her. But um, it's, it's a nice, I don't know, I just find it a really kind of heartwarming link to 
obviously the Spider-Man universe creator, and I hope that they kind of find someone else who can take up that role for it. Also, we haven't had a superhero movie, you know, headlined by a little old lady. And until they make Spider-Man, where Aunt May gets bitten by the spider, <laughs> this is going to keep me going. Well, Helen, as you know, the title of Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, applies oh. not just to Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, uh, but also to Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. You could make that argument. Uh, I, of course, think that it, the film really belongs to, to Sonny Birch. <laughs> um, the magnificent then, Walter Goggles, everybody. Oh, yeah. Um, would you genuinely call Michelle Pfeiffer a little old lady? Next news story. <laughs> just wanted to just take a look here and see what we got. Oh, should we stick with uh, Tom Holland? Yay! Because it's some, uh, who's excited about the Uncharted movie? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christmas moving on. Christmas Eve, people, come on, Christmas moving Eve. Moving on. Woo! It's hard to get excited, isn't it? You know why it's A hard? Bit. Uh, generally for you, yes. Yeah. It is. I mean... <laughs> Look, I, 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 I was about to say I love the Uncharted games as much as the next person. That's just not true. I'm one of the few people who actually doesn't really enjoy the games. But I like Nolan North's performance as Nathan Drake. I and the idea of having a young Nathan Drake, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? No, no I, I don't play games. I play, well, I play the no, FIFA. Hang on, you played at least one Uncharted, I, I'm sure. I know. Nick lent me Uncharted. Uh-huh. I played it for ten minutes. Yes. I died. Right. This is the standard with all movies. This is why I like FIFA. You can't die. I'd find a way. I would yeah. find a way. They just kicked his head off. What the hell is that about? Uh, but I played it for 10 minutes, lost it, didn't give it back to Nick. He got really angry with me yeah. and then lent me Uncharted 2. <laughs> that's, so that's how that That's worked. true friendship. Yeah, it um, really is. I don't hate the player. I hate the game. Not, not just that game. I, hate, I don't hate all, all games. games. I just don't play any games. Um, but I am aware of Uncharted as a sort of Indiana Jones, Lara Croft-esque thing that should apparently star Nathan Fillion 10 years yes, ago. Yes, That's sure. what I believe uh, is the situation. But the reason it's maybe hard to get excited about this one is because we've been hearing about this Uncharted oh, movie God, for 65 million mm. years. It's been in production longer than Jurassic Park. Mm. So <laughs> I, I don't know how... And Tom Holland you know, is great. I can't say I anything bad about him. No. Just, it just young Nathan Drake. I'm not really feeling it. Will he have the half tuck though? That's really the question. I don't know what that is. What What's is that? That, that was the half tuck. Is that like the French noobs. tuck on no. Queer Eye? So Nathan Drake pioneered the half tuck. Does everyone know what this is? Does anyone know what this is? Anyone at all? No. It's really just me. Okay, fine. Uh, so he he wears his his top half tucked in. So it's half of it's tucked in, the other half is out, and that is the half tuck. Like and a shirt. Like so, half yeah, the shirt, yeah. and, and half. it's a look. And they're I mean, saying that this fictional gentleman. Created this look. Well, he, he, he's I feel made like, this look quite popular in I feel like every schoolboy ever would disagree <laughs> I with I mean, you. that's fair. Like. That's fair. But Nathan Drake does have a half tuck. Explains but anyway, we, we've kind of skirted around the actual news of this, which is that yeah. Travis Knight will be directing this film. So yes. that in okay. itself is an exciting thing. That is a good thing, because Travis Knight did Bumblebee. Obviously, he came up through Leica Animation, who are great. And he I is think richer than God. If he can, well, yeah. But also, if he can make <laughs> us interested in Bumblebee. I mean, you know? I mean, I know it didn't do brilliantly at the box office, but it should have done. It should have really done, because charming. it's by far and away the best Transformers movie. So, I, you know, I, I, I think that film should have done, should have revitalised that franchise. Because yeah. that, see, Bumblebee for me was, the, as a Transformers film, I always wanted to see with the kind of little Gen 1 Transformers. It yeah. was all very familiar and it wasn't, you know, Bayhem. Yes, thank you, Helen. Uh, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like all the, with the crazy Bayhem and things blowing up and stuff. And I love the fact that Travis Knight, just as a kind of little fuck you uh, to Michael Bay, there's a car crash in it where someone's fender gets ever so slightly dinged. And it's like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not cars flying everywhere, explosions and people dying. It's just like, oh, we're going to need to call the insurance. 
That's, that's a direct line on the phone. Uh, and I really like Harvey Keitel going, oh, God, not again. <laughs> Please, someone end my suffering. Please. Him and Kevin Bacon. Oh, boy. Oh, Get them in the get them in the movie together. I yeah. want to interview those guys and just ask them exclusively about those adverts. Mm. <laughs> I still like the first Transformers movie. Anyway, let's move on. I like the first Transformers it's movie. Fine. And then it's they great. made four other Transformers movies. Yeah, and then Bumblebee. But uh, yes, Travis Knight is going to direct the Uncharted movie. Although we should take that with a pinch of salt because I'm pretty sure I've said something like this 57 mm. times in the podcast. <laughs> so Sean Levy was attached yeah. to direct. Oh, yeah. Dan yeah. Trachtenberg was attached to direct. David O. Russell was the guy who originally. Wanted to make oh an Uncharted God, movie, right. and that, I mean, that would have been incredible. This has been around for so long. It hey, speaking of projects that have been around for so long and gone through multiple directors and still not reached the screen, mm-hmm. Last Voyage of the Demeter. Demeter? Oh, Demeter? 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 Anyone know Dracula? Dracula? Anyone know Greek mythology? Yeah, even better. Dem- Demeter? Let's stick with that. Yeah. So this is the ship that brought, if you remember, Dracula to Whitby, wasn't it? Whitby? That's correct. Uh, in, the, in the novel Dracula. And um, basically it left port with a full complement of passengers and crew and arrived in Whitby dead. Because something had eaten everybody on board. But what could it be? Boris Johnson. <laughs> Jacob no, Rees-Mogg. But yeah, this this is another film that's been around for a while. So David Slade was going to do this for a while. The guy did Slade. 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 Sorry. Blazer. Blazer. Sorry. Sorry. Any dodgeball fans in the that house? That was, and also that was a Teen, Teen Titans, Titans reference. Movie. <laughs> Have you all yeah. seen Teen Titans go to the movie? Yeah, okay. Has anyone seen David Slade as well, the director of uh, 30 Days of Night? Little tiny fella. I was on set of 30 Days of Night. It was brilliant. They had fake vampires, obviously, um, on fire. <laughs> Jump- and they killed the guy with a trident. No, no. Jumping, they were jumping out of a burning building into fake snow. And I was just like, this is what I want a movie set to be like. Oh, that's good, isn't Everything's it? Everything's fake and it's all on fire. <laughs> so good. Anyway, but, so he was going to direct The Last Voyage of the Demeter at one point. Who else did? Somebody else was going was to uh, direct it. And Lots who, who of I've people. Got? Lots uh, of people. David and, Russell, <laughs> Sean Ryan, loads of people. Uh, and and uh, now Randall. the person in the frame is Andre Ovredal, who did uh, Troll Hunter, yes. uh, Scary Stories to, to Tell, tell in, the in the Dark, dark. most recently, and uh, has a real way with a horror movie, so that could be quite exciting. Yes, although he's meant to direct next uh, The Long Walk, which I've talked about in the podcast before, but that's the uh, Stephen King story, The Long Walk, which is fantastic. It's one of the Backman books. If you're into uh, Stephen King at all, or even if you're not, pick it up. It's great. It's a collection of four novels that King wrote under a pseudonym, Richard Backman, and uh, it includes The Running Man is in there as well. And The Long Walk is this incredibly dark dystopian tale of uh, a future society, although it feels like three weeks away now, uh, uh, where a group of young boys, every year they have a competition, a group of young boys are chosen from different states and they come together and they have to walk and walk and walk and walk until one is left alive and that one wins and it's an incredible incredible story and I've long wanted to see it as a movie so I hope he does that before he does the Dracula film which sounds great but you know Reese Mogg is unavailable for the time being Uh, but I'm excited about that. But I'm also excited not to steer this back, obviously, towards comic book movie news or indeed comic book TV news. I know this, James, this is perhaps more in the uh, wheelhouse of the Christine Pilot TV podcast. But did anyone see Brandon Routh as Superman, the picture of Brandon Routh as Superman again mm. this week? Didn't it warm the cockles of your heart? Isn't it made it me feel funny. Uh, I was very, very excited to see that. So not in that way, Helen. Jesus. Uh, 
party in that way, but... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, James, you can perhaps best explain oh, this, can't you? No, we're the TV no, I'm, expert. I'm not particularly <laughs> attuned to the Arrowverse. So this is the Crisis on Infinite Earth. Bollocks. <laughs> uh, so all of, the, all of the Supermen, so Tom Welling is back, Brandon Routh is back, and other people are back who have played people in their orbits. Interesting, and, not Dean Kane. <laughs> yeah, odd that, isn't it? It's so strange. Yeah. I, the, the Arrowverse has passed me by. It's one of the things everyone goes on about how amazing it is. And there's just too much of it at this point to get into. Well, because there are only, what, six shows? There and... are too many shows, too many seasons of too many shows. Mm. We can't, I, can't, I can't do it. I won't. So there's, you can't make me. There's, there's, there's Arrow. Arrow, Flash, Flash Supergirl, the, 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 Legends and of Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. What's the one with the gorilla? Batman. That's Legends of Tomorrow. No. What's the one with the gorilla? The time-travelling gorilla? Legends of Tomorrow. That's Legends one. of Tomorrow. We discussed this I'm recently where listening. there's a character called Gorilla Grodd yes. who travels back in time to kill a young Barack Obama. Yeah. And there's also, an, there's also an episode where they go back in time and they meet George Lucas as he's making Star Wars. Yeah. And it's, it's an absolutely batshit, insane TV <laughs> I mean, show. Like, I've only seen a few episodes, but King, it's great. King Shark has turned up, I think, in Flash. So, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're going for it, man. So, in a way that the DC films maybe haven't so mm. far. So... Yeah, fair play. Fair play. I get confused because Gotham isn't part of this. No. And Swamp no. Thing, rest in peace, is also or was not part of it. But then Supergirl wasn't a part and then became a part. So, you know, I'm, in an infinite so confusing. Earth, this all is things my are crisis on Infinite Earth. I don't understand what the fuck is going on. Confused, you will be because John Constantine was in the show Hellblazer, which was completely unconnected. But then the same actor, Matt Ryan, now plays John Constantine on Legends of Tomorrow. Yep. And just to confuse things even more, Brandon <laughs> Routh, who. I I think we can all agree that Superman Returns was a little bit spotty. Five not the Super Empire. Ted kind of way. Mm. Obviously, we gave it five stars. Uh, but, uh, not me. Not me. Not was responsible for that one. Nope. Um, but we gave it five stars. And but The I film's got a bad rap, yeah. but he is great. Yeah. I think he was great anyway. He was a great, uh, great Superman. He was very redolent of, of Chris Reeve at his Chris Reeviest. And uh, he was a very, very good Superman. And I think he deserved a second bite at the cherry. And didn't happen, obviously, only really Edgar Wright used Brandon Routh well in movies since as one of the evil exes in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And then he turned up on Legends of Tomorrow playing a completely different character called the Atom. Mm -hmm. And so in this Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, he's going to be playing both the Atom <laughs> and Superman, one of many Supermen in this thing. And honestly, even if I haven't seen a single episode of any of these TV shows, and believe me, I haven't, uh, I am here for that. It's just Superman into the Superverse, isn't it, really? Yeah. It really is, yeah. Now we need just Tom Holland to turn up as a young Clark, younger Clark Kent, <laughs> and we're golden. But yeah, really, really excited about that one. As indeed, I am about a little film I like to call Clark's Three? <laughs> Clerks Three? How do we pronounce it over here? I'm over really here, confused. it has to be Clark's. I think Clark's. here, yeah, here. Clark's. Okay. Why are you excited about it? Because I want to see it. Question. I want to see it. Don't you want to see Clark's Three? I get why Kevin Smith is excited, because it's full circle. It's coming back to the film that kind of made him. But I'm just, I feel a bit like, okay. I mean, sure. Clark's Two was fine. It was fine. It was fun. It was all right. It was fun, you guys. But anyway, it was announced this week that uh, Kevin Smith... I don't know if you've been following <laughs> developments in the Kevin Smith world, but after his heart attack uh, last year, which nearly killed him, he's obviously made Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which is coming out over here in November. Mm. And uh, he has been re-energized by this and revitalized by this. And in an exclusive interview in the world's greatest movie magazine, uh, Empire, uh, he talked to me about his plans to make more rats too. And that Jay and Silent Bob reboot is a kind of gateway film, if you will, and it, it's kind of 
revitalized the interest mm -hmm. in a Mallrats 2 and a Clerks 3. Now, he's, he wrote a script for Clerks 3, and he talks about it in here as well, uh, which was incredibly dark. And it was about Dante and Randall and Jay and Bob in, in, in their 40s, and life wasn't going well for them. And he even said, I'm not sure if I kept it in the piece or not, but he said it had a mass shooting in there in your funny Knockabout Clarks movie. And uh, Jeff O'Halloran, who plays uh, Randall in, the, in Clarks and Clarks 2, didn't like the script and didn't want to do it, and they kind of lost touch, and things got a bit heated. But now Did he say, he's I'm been... not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah, and so you'll you'll see when you see Jan and the Bob reboot how they get round the absence of of Randall. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting that they're going to do Clerks Three. Then Jeff is back on board, and uh, Kevin Smith announced he's started writing the script. Uh, none of which is in this piece because I interviewed him about three weeks ago. But anyway, <laughs> but this, uh, but this was the thing. So they didn't they met at a signing, didn't they? They were at a signing event. Yes, and they got chatting, and they buried the hatchet and said, "You know what? We should make Clerks Three. He was like, "Yeah, right. Let's do it." That's quite cute. That's it's quite good. nice. I, I don't, honestly, I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. He's hopefully making the movies that he wants to make now, the movies that his his heart, for want of a better phrase, is telling <laughs> him to make. And, you know, there's a really lovely story in here. We'll get on to this in a second because we're going to be doing a shameless plug in a second. But there's a really lovely story in here about how uh, Jan Silent Bob reboot and his heart attack reignited his friendship with Ben Affleck. There's a lovely, lovely story in here about that because they hadn't spoken for years. And so, you know, I think the moral of the story is... Just have a massive heart attack. I, Just I give don't it a go. think that's the Just give it a go. Reading. Should we yeah. all give it a go? On three. Here we go. I don't... I no, don't, it didn't work. Please stop straining. Uh, <laughs> anything else? Any other bits of uh, uh, news? We have that Deborah Chow is going to be directing the Obi-Wan TV series as when it appears on Disney+. Plus. That's quite exciting. Uh, she's been working on The Mandalorian most recently. Ooh. She's also done, oh, God, Mr. Robot. Jessica, Jessica Jones. Jones. Yeah. Um, uh, she's done some Better Call Saul. Uh, that's pretty cool. I think Kathy Kennedy was very impressed with the work she did on The Mandalorian. So she will now be... Lensing Obi-Wan. Lensing, I like quite, that word. Uh, I'm quite down with that. Yeah. I'm like very that excited about Disney+. Plus. Very excited. Yes. Well, All the good shows. Whenever we get it. Whenever we get it. 2025 or whenever it is. Um, French and Saunders have joined the cast of Kenneth Branagh's Death at the Ni on the Nile. Death of the Nile? The Nile dies. And guys, spoiler. <laughs> it's a real uh, death twist. Death on the Nile. Um, I'm really excited about this. It's got a great cast. It's got Army Hammer. It's got Gal Gadot. It's got uh, Letitia Wright. It's got Manette Benning. It's got everybody. Everybody's everybody. in this. You're in it. You. Did you know you're in it? You're in it. It's incredible. Um, oh my God, Kenneth Branagh's moustache is in Kenneth it? Kenneth Branagh's moustache. Oh, it's been retired for the last couple of years, but it's back. And even though the last one was, was merely decent, I'm excited about this one. And this week they announced the cast. And there, almost by stealth, like they hid it in the cast announcement, Jennifer Saunders and, and Don French are going to be in Death on the Nile. So happy to have, to have them work together. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. And now I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be some sort of French and Saunders big parody, uh, <laughs> which would be cool. Uh, 1917, Sam Mendes is 1917. We have heard rumours for a long, long time that it is going to be one continuous shot. That has been confirmed this week. Don't An know how the shot hell they did that. shot or a pretend shot, like a bird. I think a pretend, pretend shot, like yeah. Birdman. I don't know. I wonder. Or is it like a 17-day shooting is right? Everyone got their caffeine? Yeah. Go! Yeah, we, we got it on day three, but we decided <laughs> to shoot for another three months, just, just in case. Uh, I'm really excited about that. But I'm really, really excited, you guys, about the new issue of Empire Magazine. Oh, yes! <laughs> Muted applause and hollers. 
uh, it is time. It is out. When's it out? Today? It's out today. It's out today in all good and evil news agents. I'm just going to run through it really, really quickly because uh, I've got something very, very exciting to announce that uh, we have a copy of this for everybody in the audience. Every- no? Do we? That's not true. No. No, we don't. We don't. That's literally we don't. Not true. We're, we're you, not Oprah. We're we, not made of you, money. We don't even have that copy because that's Look literally my copy of okay. the magazine. But someone can um, have it. We will be giving this copy around, uh, starting with you, and if you just pass it around the audience and just see a page you like, remember it, uh, and then go to the news agent and buy the rest. That'd be great. So just very, very quickly, it is a fantastic issue. What's on the cover? James, you massive Star Wars hack. It's, it's Revenge of the Awakened Jedi. It's the new <laughs> Star Wars film. That's the subscriber's cover, actually, which is a lovely, lovely, lovely piece of artwork by Paul Shepard, which I love, and I'm going to put on my wall and frame and work. Are you? Mm, yeah. Do you frame stuff? Oh, I've, from got, um, I've got the Thanos subscribers cover on my wall at home. I'm not a nerd at all. Um, but yeah, no, I'm going to do that. Too. I don't have anything of, of Empire on my walls. No, but you're, you, I mean, it's pretty. Cr- uh, after the last live podcast we did, I stayed in Chris's spare room, spare room slash sex dungeon. And uh, <laughs> there are, it's, it's, a, it's a, a sort of a shrine to nerddom. You've got those sort of like four sort of like Marvel framed pictures. There's all your little passes from the festivals you've been to. Yeah, it's very sweet. I've got stuff on my walls. I just don't have any Empire stuff. One day I will get round to it once yeah. I've, I've done something. I'm proud so anyway, of. <laughs> so yes, it is the Rise of Skywalker. Are, are well discussed on that, where I wrote some things about the film. Great. <laughs> uh, is the feature more or less vague than that? It's fine. No, <laughs> it's totally uh, fine. No, I spoke to, to Chris Terry, I spoke to Judge Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy, and we talked about all sorts of things from what they did with uh, Carrie Fisher in it, you know, the kind of questions that led to the, 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 the screenplay, the sort of the things, the two things that they thought about. There were two things. This actually isn't in the piece because I genuinely ran out of words. So I'm going to say <laughs> this, this is... Does it finish mid-sentence? Uh, I was going to put it in there. So I asked, I was talking to Chris Terry about this. I said, you know, what did you, you know, where did it come from? Because when Ryan Johnson wrote The Last Jedi, the question in his head was, who is Luke Skywalker? That was the question that he used to kind of kickstart the whole storyline, whether you love it or hate it. And uh, with this one, the two questions that they worked with were, one, who is Rey, but who is she really? Like, that was, that was question number one. And question yeah. number two, and he said, was, how strong is the Force. Oh, see, these are the they questions like, How strong awake is the Force? That was something they wanted to explore in this film. Like, what is the Force actually capable of? So there might be some crazy shit in the film. See, my question is, how tasty are Ewoks? I, yeah. Want, yeah. I want to see that explored. You are in, a monster. In a future that, film. That, that may turn up later. Wow. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it seems very exciting. I'm, I'm over the moon about this film. I think it's been very good. All right, so uh, you can kill any enthusiasm you have for that film by reading James's feature. And, uh, but it's a, it's a fantastic world exclusive. And uh, we also have, let's see what do we have. So Kevin Smith talking about Jen Silent Bob reboot, as I said already. Uh, I wrote that, but please don't let that put you off. Uh, Terry White interviewed Ken Loach for It Is He about, about his new Star movie. Star Wars, The yes. Rise of Skywalker. Uh, yes, which I'm sure he's seen and uh, is very excited about. Uh, we also have Ed Norton, sorry. Edward. Edward. Edward Norton writes exclusively for Empire on his first film as director since Keeping the Faith in 2000. That's the setup, guys. Here's the punchline. That's a long time to keep the faith. Look, I have to write these very, very quickly, okay? <laughs> uh, Knives Out, I spoke to Ryan Johnson about planning the perfect murder. And uh, Martin Scorsese, who I believe is a young, up-and-coming Italian-American director, uh, he's our latest Empire 30, hashtag Empire 30 uh, director, and that's a really great interview that Nick Desemlian did. And then finally, we have an oral history with the Empire 
emphasis heavily in oral of the infamous orgy scene from Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. So it's a great issue. There's loads of other great stuff aside the issue. It's all here right now. And the first person to punch the person next to them gets this. No, that's terrible. No, that's terrible. Don't do that. Don't do that. But uh, you can pick it up. Two covers as well. Two covers. Are there? Yes, two covers. Oh, wow. Ray Ray and Kylo Ren. And there's a Kylo cover. Raylo. Hashtag Raylo. (laughs) And uh, when you put them together, they are crossing lightsabers. That's not a sex thing. Not They're literally, <laughs> literally crossing lightsabers. Crossing the streams. Yeah. It's um, very exciting. That's very exciting. The cool. Raylos were out in force, actually, when we did this. It, it, was, it, was, it was quite unexpected, to be honest. We put, uh, we put uh, a, a quote from the piece about how they're going to further explore that relationship because J.J. talks, I'm just going to ruin the whole fucking feature for you now. Uh, J.J. talks a lot about, yeah, like, you know, he, there was a big sort of tonal shift for The Last Jedi. Like, so it feels a little bit like Ryan Johnson was like, yes, Knights of Ren, race parentage, Snoke, fuck that, uh, and let's do something else. And now J.J.'s been like, yeah, okay, let's bring all this stuff back again. So it's how so Snoke he, is back. <laughs> Snoke is back triumphantly with The Knights of Ren, and they are race parents. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, no, but, it, 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 you know, this is, this is something that he sort of, he's dealt with in this. But one of the things he really liked from The Last Jedi was what Ryan Johnson did with the Raylo relationship. So they are, they are furthering that. And the Raylo shippers lost their fucking minds on the internet over this, which was pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. Exciting. All right. So that is, uh, I think that's our shameless plug over. That's our hard sell done. Yeah. Uh, right now, that's out of the way. Shall we have a guest? Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by a wonderful actor who this week has turned her hand to directing with her fantastic debut film, Good Posture. Please welcome the star of Doll and M and Can You Ever Forgive Me? And now the writer slash director of Good Posture, Dolly Wells! Dolly, thank you so much for coming all this way from, from London. So uh, very, very excited to have you here. Uh, good posture. <laughs> yes. 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 I was just, I was just remarking on your posture. It is excellent. Uh, and uh, of course, this is your debut film as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It is fantastic. Has this been a long time in the making, this movie? Have you long had pretensions of directing? Is this something that you wanted to do for a while? Um, I directed at school when I was 14. I directed a play called Noises Off by Michael Frayn. Oh, amazing. Oh, amazing. amazing. But then... I met him with my dad was a writer and a satirist and um, he introduced me to him once and then walked he said this is my daughter she directed Noises Off but only two of the three acts and then she walked away <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh, so mean and it was only because at school you were only allowed to do a certain amount of time that you were allowed to do your play or whatever but um, so I think I probably have always wanted to direct but this came in a way where so there's a guy called Jamie Adams who's directed lots of improvised films and I've been in quite a few of them and yes Two years ago, or three years ago, he said he started asking some of the actors that had been in his films if they wanted to direct, or if they had a story they wanted to tell. And I just went, no, I just felt <laughs> too scared. And then I did a play to sort of justify why I wasn't doing it off-Broadway, and the girl that played my daughter was Grace Lillian, ah, who's okay. the star of the film. Yeah, who's the star of the film. So that was a sort of serendipitous thing to happen. And then the next year, he asked me again and said, I don't think you'll be asked. I don't think Maggie Monteith, who put up the money will offer you, if you say no again, I don't think you'll get a chance to do it. And so then I was like, okay, okay, fine. And then I had a very short time. I wrote it in about, I had about six weeks to write it and about, and I shot it in, well, we shot it in 12 days. We had one extra day. Wow. 13 (laughs) days. So the whole thing was sort of a whirlwind. So I think if it had been, I think it just didn't give me the time to to really think about whether I was going to fuck it up or not. (laughs) (laughs) 
don't know if you can swear. I have. You did not fuck it up. Okay, thanks. <laughs> that is that. absolutely thanks. there. Uh, <laughs> so, um, can you tell people what good posture mm. is and set the scene for them? Um, it's sort of, well, it's always awful to say coming of age because you'll just switch off, but it is sort of, it's about a young woman, a sort of slightly entitled, lost, but really charming young woman who breaks up with her boyfriend in the first scene and he deposits her at these friends of her parents that she's going to stay with, but it's just on the other side of the road. I mean, it's about sort of that far away. And it's the relationship that builds between her and the reclusive writer, this woman that Emily Mortimer plays called Julia Price. And it's just this sort of, yeah, it's a, just quite a small, because I knew that I had such a short time and a very small budget. I, I wrote, a, like I wrote quite a, it's quite a small story, but hopefully affecting. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, so it's just about, yeah, these two women's friendship or sort of antagonistic relationship that they make in this house. And mm. Grace is quite not going to say anymore because you won't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched this last night with my parents and uh, my mum thought that um, Lillian was awful you. at the beginning. She thought she was you. No, I'm a delight. But she thought she thought Lillian was awful. And by the end, she'd completely... Oh. I mean, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but she'd won her over and she'd kind yeah. of, you know, come through. So there, it, it's a real progress for her and I think a real learning curve, isn't it? Also, she's so charming, I think. You can't... But but I think the character... I mean, Grace, the actress, is absolutely nothing like Lillian at all. She's so sort of well brought up and sweet and polite and wonderful. But... There is something charming about Lillian because she's just like a sort of stray dog or something. She just hasn't really yeah. been taught. And that's how I kept directing it, like the scene with um, with the dog walker when he's just going, no! You know, like he, <laughs> I sort of wanted her to be like a sort of slightly clueless sort of coming in, you know, getting sort of mud all over her, eating things that, you know... You have a really interesting device in the film as well, which is the kind of to-camera testimonials, which yeah. form part of that documentary, using actual real-life people. Yes. Like, where did that come from? Well, that came from me thinking that it would be less expositional... <laughs> To, like, to have to keep saying, well, Julia Price is a really successful writer, you know, and God, what have you written? Let's hear all about it. Whereas if you see Zadie Smith and Martin mm. Amos and Jonathan Ames, then, I mean, I don't know if people know in this country as much about who Jonathan Ames is, but he's a brilliant writer. He wrote Bored to Death, that show with Ted Danson, and then I was in a show he wrote called um, Blunt Talk with Patrick mm. Stewart. But I just thought it was a quick way of you really believing that she mm. was this mm. great writer. And are these people who are in the, uh, the Wells Rolodex, do people still have Rolodexes? Is that, is that a thing? Are they in your contacts? No, they... Um, well, Zadie Smith lives in New York, uh-huh. uh, where I live in Brooklyn, and she, Emily, knew her, and then I met her for... I met her at a book party or something, and then I had to... Oh, I was so cringing and embarrassing. I had to sort of <laughs> take her for a drink and sort of pitch it, and... Oh! I was so... I could feel my neck just going... <laughs> and then she did laugh. I said something, because I knew I was not going to win at sort of being clever. <laughs> she was going to win hands down at being sort of eloquent and very bright and intelligent but um but i made her laugh about something and then she and also writers are actually quite down for being in things and maybe i maybe she'd like don and then maybe she didn't think it was going to be totally terrible but and then once i got her uh-huh. it's like television then i got martin amos because he's friends with her right. um and i think he acted as a child and was sort of i heard was sort of quite keen to do it again he's so good in it i think yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and how did you get Emily Mortimer for the, this movie? Have you, have you met yeah, her that before? Was really, <laughs> that was really tough. Really, really tough. Um, well, funnily enough, I mean, she is my best friend. That's no secret, and we have been since we were, we've been friends since we were about four. We've been best friends since we were about twenty. So obviously not long at all. But um, <laughs> she um, on this weirdly, 
one of my husband's friends recommended this person to play Julia because I hadn't even gone to Emily because I just felt like, oh, is it just sort of mean to drag her down? Like, yeah. with Doll and Emma, it was such a risk and it turned out to be something we both really enjoyed and people did like. But mm. I was like, oh, this may be just really awful and so maybe I just shouldn't make her, maybe I should be sort of, it's departure, doing it on my own, writing without her and doing it. And then there was this woman that I got recommended and I was like, oh, to play Julia Price? Oh, I don't know about that. And then I had to send, like, they said, send her Doll and M. And I never heard back from this woman. They were saying, well, maybe she only likes films, not television. And I was like, this is so irritating. Why have I been forced to send something to somebody that I didn't even think was right? And now she's not getting back. And I was telling Emily about it. And she was like, I'd do it. And I was like, would you really do it? And she went, of course, I would big, I was small, I'd definitely do it. And she was Julia Price. I mean, that's who yeah. I knew could play Julia Price. And I wanted to, but I didn't want her to feel that she had to. So that also just made it feel so reassuring I just felt like okay I've got sort of somebody on somebody sort of got my back and if it's terrible she'll be able to say it doesn't matter who cares so what was the most surprising thing about the directing process as opposed to all the stuff you've done before was it was there anything that was like I did not think this would be like that yes funnily enough my respect for actors (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think I mean I knew that but I've always been slightly sort of like I'm an actor but sort of I'm not that cringy I'm I'm sort of I mean you know there's something there's something about acting when you start it and then I mean it's it's an incredible job and people that are great at acting but I had some sort of thing about it when I when I started years and years ago and then just from doing it all the time you meet actors that are great and things but I didn't have the respect suddenly making a film in 12 days and just watching these people just giving you their all like really just every performance really listening to you really trying really just committed would carry on late and late into the night night just it just felt really exciting watching them on the monitor, just like, oh my God, they're all so good. And they're just doing it. And, they're, you know, it's like conducting or something. They're doing what you ask. And I thought there was something really moving about that. Technically, there is just still just so much to learn. But I'm, I'm quite, the only thing I'm quite good at is I don't have very much pride. So I didn't pretend. Right. I wasn't like, yes, oh, so I think you need to put a 50 on the, you know, I didn't know. So it was like, the language that I was using was not technical at all. It was like, I need to feel a bit more in this moment. Or I need... You know, and then you'd, you'd be, and I had a brilliant DP called Ryan Edelston, who was very um, collaborative and unpatronising and excited. It's beautifully shot. It's really good. It feels it? really intimate. Yeah, it does. Well, mm. Also, we used um, anamorphic lenses, which was terrifying. It was the first <laughs> time for him. And I was, oh, when you first watched the assembly, I was just like, oh my God, help. Because if somebody walks past the gate or something, it goes, like a computer game. Yeah. And the people on the sides of the frame. But it was definitely a great thing to have done I think because the room that you see so much of the time Lillian's room is so small that you mm. can then have all the walls yeah. you know you can see yeah. everything but um, I've forgotten what the question was <laughs> that, that was the answer and uh, I've got to ask about um, some of your past work as well uh, can you ever forgive me for asking about your past work but also I, I wanted to ask me about my future work I'll just tell you all about it <laughs> uh, that's, that's an incredible film such I thought it was such a great film I felt really lucky to be part of that and <clears throat> Melissa, I mean, I was so nervous because it was also, I was just thinking, just don't laugh every time she speaks because it's just going to be <laughs> so pathetic. And don't, like, and it was also when she was doing that Sean Spicer stuff. Oh, I just yes. thought was, she was doing that at the weekends while she was filming. And no way. It was so funny that she was sort of coming off the weekend, you try not to be too sort of excited about admitting that you would watched it 64 times. But <laughs> she was... Um, Really, really good to work with. I think she's brilliant when she's being funny and when she's playing straight. And Mari Heller, I think, is a fantastic director. Like, I'd yeah. really enjoy Joy, Diary of a Teenage Girl. Yeah. 
And it was really fun. Yeah, it was fun shooting in New York. It was, I thought everything was good. Like the costumes were so good. Like you sort of, that was about just putting the costume on. I was like, oh my God, I'm like 50% here with the hair and the scrunchie <laughs> and the glasses. And the, um, but yeah, it was a really lovely thing to be part of. And also just to see a film where, which is such a relief, where there's like a woman in her 50s who isn't either incredibly beautiful or really successful. Like mm. to tell a story where it's like, Ooh. artists don't suddenly stop being artists at like 26 if they haven't made a million dollars or something. Like why can't we still see the story about this woman who can't pay her rent and is cross and drunk and <laughs> cantankerous. So, and, and, and also it was, it was so great that it was such a success because mm. I think people were thinking, oh, you know, people are going to sympathize with her, but you so do. Yeah. 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 I think she's brilliant. She's fantastic. Yeah. And is, is New York, I mean, you said you meant you live in New York and obviously the you know, good posture is set in New York. So is, how long has that been part of your life? Is, is that... I moved six years ago. Okay. It feels a little bit confusing currently just because this year, I'm not allowed to say what it is that I shot, I don't think, but I've shot something for five and a half months from like February to August. I went home for a minute and then come back here for a month. So I sort of feel a bit like I live here right now. But yeah, I moved six years ago. My husband's American. He wanted to go home. We'd been together for... Well, I don't know, I've been together 23 years now, but we'd be, he'd been at art school and I'd been at drama school. And then it was like, oh, I can't keep saying, look over there, look, London's cool. <laughs> and we had to go back. And But he wanted to go to Cape Cod, which is where he grew up. And New York was the compromise. <laughs> and it was quite weird at first, because although it's a city and everybody speaks English, it still feels really weird. Like I started... It's almost like a computer crashing. There was so much I had to remember mm. so quickly. I, my kids were always like, you don't remember anything anymore. And I was like, no, I think I don't remember anything much anymore because you're getting <laughs> used to like insurance and banks and mm -hmm. schools. And I'd walk around for days with letters in my pocket because I could never find a post box. They were always, <laughs> or there was just all things that I found so confusing. But once we'd moved to Bed-Stuy, where we live now, uh -huh. which is where the film is set, yes. there was something where I sort of said it was like a love letter to New York because it felt like... Mm. Creatively, it was really exciting. It almost took sort of, you know, 30 years off me or something. It was like I was, I felt quite naive and young because I was looking at this place that I didn't know. So mm. if I'd been making it in Kilburn or Wilsdon or I don't know where, <laughs> I can't really imagine how I would have done it. But in New York, it all still, still felt so, I was like, oh my God, I love that street or I love those houses or I love the colours of blah, blah. You know, it felt yeah. like you could do that for your first time. There wouldn't be sort of people being, also everyone's more enthusiastic in America. If I'd made that in London, I'd have all my friends and family being like, why are you making a film? <laughs> <laughs> Who gave you money to make a film? You never said you wanted to direct, you know what I mean? Whereas there, everyone's like, my yeah. God, this is so great. Yeah. <laughs> Although there were four, it's quite rough, the neighbourhood that I live in, and there were four guys that started drinking at about, 10 in the morning and by about four and they still were drinking they just and, and we didn't have enough budget or time they just kept shouting go back to hollywood go and you could just hear it <laughs> listen to my accent yeah. do, I, do i sound like yeah, look at hollywood? the camera look at what we've got <laughs> i've got to ask this has got nothing to do with your movie but um, nothing to do with actually, you no, it does it does actually it does it's tangentially connected uh, uh bed is also were do the right thing yes. was set and do you live near? Because they renamed yes. the, the block Do the Right Thing Way, which I think is incredible. Do you know that? That's a re fairly recent development. Have you made this up? No, I haven't made this up. Check I it out. I believe you, but I believe yeah. you. And I wish that my husband or my son were sitting here because they're always like, oh, you don't recognize anyone. That's ODB, old daddy bastard. And that's... <laughs> but I mean, I was like, yes, I do. I like ODB. I like him. Oh, my son is always saying, the thing my son says all the time, which is so cringy, is just, you are so white. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you want me to be? I mean, yes, you are totally right. I am so white. That is true. 
And you're pretty white as well, but anyway, <laughs> less than me, apparently. But. I've got to ask as well, Goliath, go on a second, Dolly, because you Go literally on. have a train to catch. Uh, but uh, Doll and M, I, I loved that show. That was a lot of fun. Thank and you. again, was that something that, you know, you were talking about, you got one writer on board and suddenly all the other writers, you could Sadie Smith, suddenly yes. Jonathan Ames, and so you yes. get so many great, uh, great celebrities. Yes, that was, themselves I mean, that, that was just, looking back on it, that was just, and we're hopefully, well, we are writing something now, another thing, but that was just like a sort of, you're always too, well, I'm too spoiled or scared to realise when something's happening that it's really exciting because mm. I've got that sort of thing of being a bit teenage, being like, yeah, whatever, that's, yeah, it's probably going to go wrong and who cares and <laughs> being sort of nervous. But that was so exciting because it was Emily and I had been writing for about 10 years, writing this film that just was basically just an excuse to sort of be together when our kids are small. It's like, oh, I have to go and stay with Emily and write. I really don't want to go and leave you with the kids, but <laughs> got to. And that never happened. But then Don and Em happened really quickly and it was just, it really made us laugh. Because she was like, she's only three months older than me, but she left drama school or she left Oxford and went straight into acting. Whereas I left Manchester and then was like, what's a journalist and what's drama school? I was just much lower later, much, much lazier. Uh -huh. So I liked hearing all the things <laughs> she was talking about. But I used to be like, God, imagine if I just sort of took your phone and like found like Ben Stiller's name or number and was just like, you're a fucking idiot or something like that. It was just like, you could do such terrible things. And yeah. it was to make yourself that like you could have a sort of weird dark, that, that the assistant at the beginning would seem, not that I'm saying she's got Ben Stiller's name, that just came to my head, but, but, um, but that you, as the assistant also that, that she seems like the underdog, so you're going to be on that person's side and that yet yeah, she becomes this sort of just... <laughs> awful freeloading <laughs> just terrible girl but it, but also it was we based it a bit on we both loved all about eve and the servant oh yeah and then yes we did start getting i can remember we got one was a cheat one was chloe sevenier who's my husband's friend from when they were teenagers but after that i mean actually lots of them were cheats because there were people that emily'd work with but not me but then i would be like imagine if we got susan sarandon and you're like we're never gonna get susan sarandon and then it's like well you've got three hours of susan sarandon and oh <laughs> it was all so exciting i couldn't really believe it it was really cool. And also because I think also, which of those people, you've probably all made a million films and I'm the novice out of all of you, but what I would really recommend, which was such a cool thing, was that we just made something because then once you sent it to people, it's so much easier than sending a treatment or sending a... Because everything, we, we, it was a 20 minute, wasn't quite what turned into the pilot, but it was yeah. basically, so yeah. the tone, everything, so pe people, if they liked it and responded to it, they knew they did want to be in that thing. Whereas I find treatments or you know, pictures when you're like, it's like a mixture of whatever you think you're supposed to say, flea bag, and you know, it just doesn't, you can't really picture it. Whereas if you make something yeah. and send it out to people, it's just so much easier to want to get involved. So what can you tell us about what's next? Obviously um, there's something there that we can- There's a secret project and there's a secret thing. Name. Well, I think I, I think I'm allowed to say, I'm in Dracula. I think oh. I'm allowed to say that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I am also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I'm in Dracula, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, Emily and I are writing something, which is another show of, about us, well, not about us, but that we are in, which we're just finishing and um, you'll have to take out and try and sell. And then I am gearing up. Someone just needs to give me a deadline and then I'll write another film. Okay. <laughs> Good posture too. Yeah. Even posture so if that makes any sense. Dodgy posture. <laughs> um, I've got to ask one last question about uh, Dracula, uh -huh. or, or Dracula, as I often say. I'm really looking forward to that one. Uh -huh. What can you say about that? What, what can we look forward to? What can we expect from that? Lots of fangs and blood and gore and stuff? Yes. God, it's so weird, because I've never been in anything where you're not allowed to say. <laughs> I can say that 
There's a Dracula. There's Dracula. It's played by Clay Bang, who yep. is in the square. Is it Clay Bang? Yeah. I thought it was Clash Bang. Oh, that's a real shame. <laughs> I've been going around saying this is Clash. the man with the best name in the yeah. world. It's Clash Bang. Oh, no. You've ruined everything. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you can meet him and call him Clash Bang. But we did used to say, ready for your Clay up. <laughs> um, so there's... Uh, what do I say? Well, it's written by Mark Gattis and... Oh, I just said Mark Gatiss's name right. wrong. Yeah, I don't yeah, know why I said that. I never say that. Anyway, <laughs> and Stephen Moffat. So those it's Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> Moffat. Anyway, so they have written something brilliant, and I can remember when I got the audition. It's that feeling of like, oh my god, this is really good. I remember my agent said, "Okay, you've been waiting to do something in England. Here is a barnstormer of an audition." And I was like, "Let's have a look." And I couldn't stop reading all three episodes. I mean, actually, no, I read the. We got sent the first two, and then the third came later on. But it was. I was really excited. And you will see, it's quite, it is scary mm-hmm. and horror but it's also funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a bit, a little bit different from how you'd okay. picture normal. Are you a Dracula? Can you, if I said it, I, I would just be insane. Imagine if I was like, okay, yes, yeah, so I'm Dracula. <laughs> no. There you go. We got the big exclusives. That's, that's, I'm like a one-man Woodward and Bernstein. It's like I could just pull the exclusive out of people. Uh, Dolly, I cannot wait to see that. It's going to be absolutely amazing. We have to get you to your train. One last time, please give it up for the fantastic Dolly Wells, everybody. <laughs> Time now to review this week's releases. We will get to good posture in good time. But for now, there's only one place to start. It is a movie about an intensely charismatic and dangerously flaky entertainer whose name begins with J. Yes, it's Judy, of course. And uh, this is the story of Judy Garland. Uh, late in her life, played by Renee Selweger. Now, because I was in the States... Uh, Where you? You haven't mentioned haven't your glamorous international it. travel. I did not get to see this movie. Uh, Jimbo, you just couldn't be arsed, as far as I can tell. <laughs> That's 100% true. I, I had to go into the office first for a meeting, and it was all the way in Soho, and I just thought, no. That's professionalism, everybody. <laughs> that is commitment. <laughs> I had a really good excuse. Uh, yeah. Helen. It was half an hour away. Yes, Helen is the only person here who has seen Judy. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless anyone here has seen it, in which case, please, by all means, <laughs> come down and talk about it. Uh, Hell's Bells. Yeah, thank God one of us is a professional. So, uh, <laughs> this is a, kind of a comeback for Renee Zellberger, actually, who's been more or less Don't absent call it from a comeback. the big screen uh, for quite some time, time now. But she really reminds us what we've been missing, I think, with this one, because it's a phenomenal performance. If you remember, of course, she starred in Chicago. We know she can sing, and she does sing the Judy Garland stuff. <laughs> Remy Malik. <coughs> um, so she, she gives the vocal performances as well um, and, and deserves considerable credit for those because these are not easy songs to sing. But it's basically about Judy Garland uh, was essentially on her uppers. She was really, well, she was, but um, she was also uh, in <laughs> financial difficulties um, in the last few years of her life. You know, she'd been divorced several times. Uh, her, her young children were often touring with her, but she was still kind of struggling to make ends meet with them. So as we join her in this film, um, she's had to drop them off with her ex-husband, who's played by Rufus Sewell. 
and she's essentially not given them back. And she's told, look, you can go and take this job in London, do this series of shows in London, and that will give you the money to fight for custody and to kind of set up a house again and to, to be with your children. So it's really high stakes for her. It's incredibly high stakes. She has to get these shows to work in order to get her kids back. So it's a very personal and touching story in many ways. Uh, the problem, of course, with all of this is, is that, you know, years of growing up in the studio system, and we see that in flashbacks to her days on, on set of The Wizard of Oz and everything, have left her a complete wreck. She didn't have a proper childhood. She was given all manner of drugs to control her weight, to control her energy, to control her life from a very, very young age. And that has just made her a disastrous human being, frankly, in adulthood. And, and Jesse Buckley's character is set to kind of manage her by the, uh, by the London impresario, um, played by Michael Gambon, who, who has brought her over. But, I mean, it's an impossible job, you know. So it's this kind of real push and pull within mostly Garland herself. She's desperately trying to, to be a professional, desperately trying to do this work, and yet is kind of consistently sabotaged by her own demons, um, really, drink, drugs, everything, you name it. Um, so as a performance, I think it's stunning. I think uh, she is uh, amazing, Renee Zellweger. She really gets under the skin. You know, she's very unvain. You know, this is Garland looking her worst, quite frankly, and also looking her best and also reminding us what, what a great star she could be, really running the gamut. The film can be a little bit more on the nose. The film is sometimes a bit seen it all before biopics and it's particularly hard I think with biopics about people who struggled with drugs because there are common themes you know there's a reason that Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story kind of killed the musical biopic for what 10-15 years because they all hit the same beats and this one does too and there are also some very cheesy moments but there are also some moments that ring incredibly true she's very very kind to some fans of hers in london um particularly a gay couple who at that point still would have been criminalized and would have been you know just hugely discriminated against and she just treats them with such humanity and such warmth and such love and it's a really wonderful scene so there are moments that are just great and then there are moments where you're like, oh, come on, we've seen this a million times, you know. But what keeps you watching the whole way through is really Zellweger's performance. So do you think she's going to be in contention for an Oscar? Do you think she'll win the Oscar? Do you think that uh, the Academy realized the horrendous mistake they made with Rami Malek? And I, I, honestly, I feel that they're desperate not to do it again, no matter how good the performance is. This is why I don't think Taron Egerton's got a chance of being nominated for his much, much better performance in Rocketman. And I've got a sneaky suspicion here, I'm reading lots of Oscar prognostication at the moment, mm -hmm. to say that she's going to be maybe nominated but not winning. Yeah, I think, I think, I think she'll be nominated. I, I haven't seen all the likely contenders yet, so I, I don't know if she'll win, but she's, mm. she'll, I, I would be very surprised if she doesn't get a nomination. And frankly, if she doesn't, then it's been a great year for, for roles for women. Indeed, so we gave this three stars. Three stars, three. thank God, because I didn't know. Three stars yeah, I then. Just, I literally just looked at it. Oh, good. Oh, we have a magazine here. This is great. What's in it? <laughs> three stars then for Judy, and uh, which, as we always send the podcast, is a recommendation. And next up is the aforementioned Dolly Wells movie, Good Posture. And uh, I really like this movie, thankfully, because it meant I wasn't lying when I introduced Dolly Wells. That's always good. Uh, but Hell's Bells, this is, uh, let's, let's have you again talking about this movie. Talk yes, about so this, movie. this is, as we've kind of discussed a little bit in the interview already, um, but this is the story of a young woman called Lillian who breaks up with her boyfriend and has to move in with a literary friend of her dad's who's played by Emily Mortimer. So this great writer 
becomes a sort of de facto guardian for this incredibly disorganized and uh, uncaring and um, entitled, frankly, young woman who just has not got her life together at all. And it's a little bit of a strange relationship story where they communicate through notes that uh, Mortimer's character leaves in Lillian's journal. And they have this weird sort of almost pen pal relationship, but it's, it's a slightly... Uh, antagonistic relationship at mm. first you know um she refers to her as the entitled oaf who's living in her house you know and uh lillian calls her miss havisham yeah. doesn't she yeah. so you know there's a there's a little bit of a kind of weird dynamic between them but you do end up seeing that it actually there, there's a there's a strange connection that will ultimately and i don't think this is a spoiler kind of help them both so it, it's it's an unusual relationship movie mm -hmm. it's about this kind of strange friendship slash mentor slash mother-daughter relationship almost and uh and it's a very kind of relaxed indie new york kind of vibe you know lots of walking around the neighborhood and going to the dog park and and chatting to odd people that they meet and i really liked it mm -hmm. i just thought it was incredibly charming great great performances and and i thought now she's gone i can say this i thought i thought dolly did a great yeah. job as a first-time director she's i would got, say it to her face <laughs> go on no but i mean you know just little things like just you know tracking shots just through the neighborhood giving you such a an incredible sense of place and then also those those you know shots of lillian in a room just kind of almost hidden away from the world scared of of her own potential as well as what's out there it's 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 a lovely, lovely character study. It's super sweet. I really, I loved it. And she talked about this a, a little bit before. Uh, I love the idea of them communicating through these these notes that start out really passive aggressive and then become more affectionate as they go. And the fact that the first time you see them is over the dinner table and it's really spiky. Uh, and it kind of evolves as the film goes on. I thought she did a lovely job of the, this relationship between the two of them, which is executed largely from having the, them have no contact. So. Yeah. I uh, fully agree with what you both said. It's really, really sweet, really lovely, really intimate movie. Uh, right up my uh, alley. It reminded me a little bit of the Meritz stories, a little bit, uh, which is the Noah Baumbach film from uh, two years ago now. It's just, it's just a lovely little movie, and I don't mean little in a disparaging way. It's just a really, really nice, well-acted film, and it's 91 minutes long. Yeah. And as with last week's guest, Craig Roberts, whose Eternal Beauty is 93 minutes long, I applaud this new trend <laughs> in directors uh, because I'm very busy, guys, and, <laughs> and uh, I've got to make time to watch Avengers Endgame. Again. Again. Uh, so we gave this one three stars, but I think you can probably tell from all of us that we would probably lob an extra star in this direction. Feel free to do so as well if you fancy that. All right, I think that's pretty much it for the, the week's movie reviews, isn't it? Isn't that's, there one more? I thought we had there one three. more? I thought we one had three. more. Let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. Joker. Joker, Joker, shit, uh, yes, Joker. So this is the uh, Todd Phillips movie, the seemingly one-off origin story of the clown prince of crime, uh, starring everyone's favorite interviewee, Joaquin Phoenix, <laughs> as your problematic fave, the Joker. And uh, it's quite a hot-button film, and uh, as Todd Phillips said this week, uh, it is proof that you can't be funny in this woke culture. Yeah. Uh, what do we make of this one? Jimbo. Nice one. Well, he proved it with this film, I think, a little bit. Yeah, so Hollywood funny man Todd Phillips, famous for films such as Road Trip and Old School and the Hangover trilogy, uh, has made this depressing, nihilistic romp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it really? Is it? Um, 
Yeah, so not controversial at all. So this does take, uh, it is, I would say, inspired by The Killing Joke. It's not based on The Killing Joke. It's not an adaptation of any real origin story of the Joker other than taking the fact that he's an aspiring stand-up comedian from that. Uh, and he's kind of designed it from the ground up just around the concept of this character. So Joaquin Phoenix plays a guy called Arthur Fleck who is a kind of uh, professional clown, uh, sad sack, sort of social outcast type person. And he has an un specified mental illness which manifests itself as uncontrollable pathological laughter and he as the sort of film goes on becomes increasingly disaffected he is fired he is attacked he has a pretty bad time and then as one does he taps into his inner sociopathic clown and goes a bit berserk now this film has divided people quite a lot on how it depicts him and how it sympathizes with him. So it can be seen as an apology for that character. And it definitely wants you to empathize with him as a human. I think the idea is that while he's an awful human, not all humans are 100% awful. So he tries to draw out the humanity in Fleck and in this sort of proto-Joker character. But I think the thing you can't get away from is it's a super villain origin story, which is kind of why it didn't bother me in that place. Like I. I don't think you, your sympathy goes to a certain point. I think they try and push you and push you and push you. Like you're with him up until a point and it pushes you further and further and further until the point where you have to let go. And you have to say, do you know what? He is a villain. You're not supposed to like him. He's the protagonist. He's not the hero. Um, and I really like this as a character study of this man and of Joker. I think if you're too wedded to the DC mythology and you're trying to fit it into stuff, you'll go insane. It doesn't fit into anything. It doesn't bridge anything. It's not connected to anything. And so trying to slot it into that world won't work. I mean, uh, Phillips originally kind of pitched this as the beginning of something I think he called DC Black, didn't he? Which was the idea of taking these characters and doing dark character studies on them. Uh, whether or not that will ever happen, I don't think it will, but whether or not that will happen, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Phoenix is fantastic in this role. He really is. It's, it's an extraordinary performance. It's beautifully shot. There's some wonderful, wonderful grace notes in this. Uh, you've seen the sort of footage of him dancing on the steps. That's just, that's just one of those. A lovely, lovely scene where he's completely improvised by Phoenix, where he starts sort of doing weird interpretative dance to this really haunting cello score that the film has. So I, I really love this. I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful film. However, there is also a counter opinion to this and for that I hand you over to my colleague Helen. <laughs> yeah I agree about the cinematography I think it's stunning I agree about the music I loved it I did not like anything else really um, I didn't even love Phoenix's performance I think it's I think it's very good I don't think it deserves a lot of the hype that it's getting I, it, is, it is extraordinary physically like he lost a huge amount of weight and yeah. he kind of is he, he's hunched over and, and curled up and his bones look like they're kind of exploding yeah. out of his back mm -hmm. a lot of the time he looks like a prosthetic he like does his own, yeah his own prosthetic he, at times. And, and I get that it's visually amazing looking but I don't think it says anything and I think anything it does say is negative and, and uh, corrosive and unhelpful to the world right now. And uh, if you care at all about DC canon, it does deep violence to it. Now, I know it's an Elseworlds story and all the Batman fans I've talked to are actually pretty okay with that because they're like, eh, this doesn't count, it's fine. But if it's, it's jarring to me. But the main basic problem I have with this film is there is no counterpoint to his worldview, nothing. There is no escape. There is no 
balance whatsoever. And I know that Todd Phillips would probably say, well, that's the point, you're getting sucked into his world and that's all what I was trying to go for. And I don't think he even does that properly for reasons I will talk about in the spoiler special. Um, I, I just don't like it. Um, and and, <laughs> Is, and, well, and would it was be, bored. Would it be fair and to say that you were maybe leaning towards that before you saw the movie? I was... I suspected I would feel this way mm-hmm. in the same way that I suspected I would, you know, like certain other movies I've seen, Booksmart and Avengers <laughs> yeah. and things like that. Yeah. I was pretty certain I was going to like those and I was pretty certain I was going to have a problem with this and I did have a problem with it for the reasons that I had suspected I would. Mm. But that, but that's not to say I went it's, in with a closed yeah. mind. It's a tough one to talk about without getting into uh, spoilers too much. We will be doing a spoiler special on yeah. this. We did talk to Todd Phillips. Uh, it's going to be out, I think, on the 14th of October if you want to check that one out uh, if and when it drops. Um, I will get it done by then, I promise you. And uh, I have a different take on Arthur in this movie uh, that we will get into more in the spoiler special. Uh, But I'm not quite as in the, I think it's an apology or uh, for incels or camp as perhaps you are, Helen. I think what he's doing with this movie is that he is actually stripping away any kind of grandeur from the Joker. And I think he is basically showing these people who idolize the Joker, which is a ludicrous thing to do. He is <laughs> he's a super villain, guys. He's one of the worst comic characters in the history of mankind. I mean, he will, you know, he's a bad man. Uh, you're not meant to idolize a Joker. That's pretty much uh, done and dusted. Uh, so I think what he's doing in this movie, he's basically saying, this is the guy you idolize, really, this guy, this slightly dweeby, slightly mm. pathetic, really psychotic guy. This is your hero. And there are different, there are complications to that. Of course, that we will get into the in spoiler special where we could talk about it unfettered. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to admire here, I, I would say as well. It's also an incredible performance. And I can see why he may well get nominated. And they're even talking of him potentially mm. as a winner uh, of best actor. So five stars then for Joker. And so far on this tour, we have kept the live shows to live guests only. But here is one in time-honored Blue Peter tradition that we did earlier. Because when Joaquin Phoenix came to London last week, last Thursday, in fact, when we were in York, uh, we grabbed hold of a frankly terrified John Nugent and (laughs) threw him into a room with Joaquin Phoenix and locked the door and let what happened happen. But it went really well. So uh, they had a good time. They they got on. He actually answered questions, which is is great. I mean, John's dead now. Didn't walk out. John John hasn't been seen since, in fairness, but uh, I'm sure he had a great time. So here you are, the last interview John Nugent ever did with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Do please enjoy. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. First of all, what is it like to be right in the middle of all this? This, We're we're right in the thick of Joker mayhem, I guess. Uh, It's the film everyone's talking about right now. What's the last few weeks been like for you? It's been good. I mean, it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, it's it's not familiar territory for me. I'm very comfortable making movies that um, has a limited audience. <laughs> and I've been very fortunate to continue to have the opportunity to make movies, even though uh, the movies that I've, I've made um, don't have co- so much of an impact. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I guess it's an exciting time. To be honest, for me... You know, we we've had like two weeks of traveling and doing press, and you're just you're flying to different countries, and it's very exciting to meet people from 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 different countries and see kind of what their reaction to the film is. 
but mostly you're just exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't, uh, I don't really, I don't read reviews or, or entertainment um, news. So, you know, my, my own, the, the only feedback I get is when I'm in a room talking to, to journalists. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been fun. What's your like coping mechanism? What do you do to like switch off from all of this madness? I don't think you have the time to do that. <laughs> you know, the way this, this schedule is, I mean, yeah. you, you, you have very little, little time on, on your own. So you're primarily going to a premiere and, and doing interviews. Mm. Um, so there's really not the opportunity to switch off. Yeah. Well, we'll try and make this as painless as possible. Let's, I guess let's start from the beginning when you sort of first signed on. What was your, what was your reaction to this script, which is such an unusual script for, for a comic book movie? really complicated feelings towards mm. the character. You know, I'd vacillate between feeling sympathy for him and, and being revolted by his behavior. And and I wasn't sure what was true. I mean, there were so many mm. scenes that seemed just absurd to me. I thought, this can't be true. This couldn't have really happened. Um, but I think I like that. I like that I, I, I didn't know. It was a, a character that was... Felt like it was always surprising, surprising me. I thought it was interesting to to, to approach this character that's so iconic, um, and it always talks about it as looking through, um, looking through it as in the most realistic lens as possible, mm. and uh, and I like that. You know, answering the questions of why he has the laugh that he has or why his face is painted white and the green hair. Kind of answering those questions, I, I thought it was a really interesting and a smart way to approach those things. Yeah, Todd the, Phillips, the director, has talked a lot about how he found it liberating to write the scripts without any sort of rules from the comic book universe. Did you find it liberating as an actor just to sort of kind of go nuts and just, just, be, just explore it on your own terms? Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I think that's that's how you have to approach every character. Mm -hmm. There's always there's always people that have an expectation uh, of the role, even if it's the 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 writer and the director and the producer. I think there's always a point where you have to own it and, and say, "This is mine, and this is my interpretation." Um, I've had to do that before, you know, in movies. I played Johnny Cash, and mm. it's very much. Uh, there, there's a period of time where you feel that expectation and you're nervous and you want to satisfy people. And at some point you realize that's the wrong approach. Uh, I have to find what it is for me and, and that's it. But the, you know, this, this was a really, it was an enjoyable process to be able to discover things, to have the time to discover things that, that um, weren't necessarily on the page it's such a physical role it's such a physical performance you know you talked a little bit about the weight loss there's, there's a lot of running there's also a lot of dancing I mean what were the sort of physical challenges of it did you find it challenging I guess challenging but it it, it seemed to reciprocate so much like whatever we put into it so it, it became energizing so a, a, a little scene was after the subway, and I don't want to give anything away, but after this subway sequence, he goes into this bathroom, and, and I've talked a lot about the dance and, and how we discovered that. But there was something that felt 
so exciting when we made that discovery, but we we still weren't sure. I mean, two days later, Tony Todd said, "What the fuck was that scene? Is that going to make any sense? Like, yeah. it seems like it's such a such a strange way to 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 kind of um, convey the 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 character's transformation, and yet that's what it was, and that's what the the scene is written. I, didn't, I think we we felt like." didn't really capture what it was that Arthur was experiencing. And so we just figured out this other way of approaching it, but we weren't sure, man. I was like, yeah, this might be too much. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to make any sense. Maybe this feels ridiculous. Are we doing like fucking interpretive dance in the middle of a Joker movie? <laughs> um, so it, it was just, it was exciting to feel like we were playing in this area that was where we were, we weren't certain, certain of whether it was going to work or not. Mm. And there's something that feels, I don't know, it's inspiring and exciting when, when, when you work that way. Yeah. It's really interesting reading your, how you work with Todd. Like I read that you guys would speak for hours night after night, just sort of, what did you discuss during those conversations? <laughs> um, it would be about the, the, well, the, the previous week's work or months' work, whatever it was, we would go all the way back. Everything we shot, we would talk about, and then we talk about the upcoming uh, week and figure out the you know, I don't know, just talk about the possibilities of what those scenes could be. I mean, we we did that a lot. There was certainly a period. I think the last month, maybe it's a reaction to knowing like you're coming to an end and we've already, we've shot all these scenes. And so you start, you almost start painting yourself into a corner. The, the more that you work, it's like, oh, well, we've mm-hmm. really defined, we've really defined this aspect of the character. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, oftentimes for me, I would go home and uh, I don't normally do this. I've never watched dailies or or the monitor, but Todd really got me into watching the monitor. And after I did that, I said, I think I should, I should look at dailies. And so, so I'd watch those and we would discuss kind of like the takes that we thought worked. And then we just talk about the upcoming scenes Hmm. was, it was constant, but certainly the, the last month, I think I always like showing up early to, to set, um, but the last month we were there two hours before call wow. and, um, every night we spoke, I mean, every fucking night. And I think he, there were a couple of times where I think he was just like, I'm, I don't even want to hear your voice anymore. <laughs> and he was so sick of me. Um, but no, he was always, uh, available and yeah, we would just talk endlessly. Yeah. And that sort of intense collaboration, I mean, does that bring you very close together? Do you feel like you've got like a sort of a bond there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's a great guy and, and, and he had such a a willingness and a, a desire to to put everything that he had into into this movie. And, you know, he's basically Arthur and Joker to me. Um, there's a part <laughs> of him that seems very sensitive and thoughtful and compassionate and then he's got this wicked sense of humor and sometimes inappropriate but like wonderful <laughs> yes and i was like ah oh, that's that's basically arthur and joker it's perfect <laughs> wow and are you, are you okay with watching yourself on screen like it's interesting you watch the dailies yeah i i i hadn't been in when we first started shooting the first uh it was the first week and he tried to show me the frame, just the frame, not not even a, not even playback. Mm. I said, no, I don't want to see it because I've always felt like 
I don't I don't want to know what the camera's doing. I don't want to think of it uh, objectively. For me, it's I just want to have the experience and whatever you do with the camera, knock mm-hmm. yourself out. I don't want to start playing to the camera. Mm-hmm. But he showed me um, what happened was there was a scene where I'm supposed to be kicking this garbage. And he said, listen, I'm doing a wide shot and I'm going to have the stunt guy do it. And I said, what are you talking about? I don't need a stunt guy to do it. I got it. No problem. And so uh, we did the first take and I kicked garbage and I just stomped down in the wrong way and did something. I don't know what, what it was to, to my knee, just like, you know, popped it out. And so actually in that take, you see me sitting down and it's because I had tweaked my knee and, oh, wow. and, uh, and sat down. So it was so bad that I couldn't shoot anymore. And he was like, well, now you're going to have to watch, uh, Izzy was the stunt man. Yeah. You can have to watch Izzy in this shot, do it because you can't do it. I'm doing a wide shot. So I watched that. I was like, all right, that wasn't so bad. And so then, I don't know, a couple of days later, he said, can I show you something else? I want to show you this thing. I said, okay. So I looked at it and somehow, I don't know. I think I was able to, um, no, I was able to, to, to watch it objectively. I didn't get caught up in my own like insecurities or con- concerns. And, yeah. and, um, and then it ended up becoming like a, a, an important tool for me that I never would have anticipated this. I, I just, I, but for some reason, um, I found it really helpful. And I think um, I, I saw filmmaking in a different way. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, I can believe, I know the scene you're talking about, and you really, I mean, you beat the shit out of that garbage, you know, it's... Uh... Well, I think part of what it what it was, and that we discovered with a lot of these scenes, you mentioned the running and stuff, um, when you lose, when you lose that kind of weight, you start losing muscle as well. Mm. So the body, I think it just, like, wasn't prepared. I'm also probably getting older. <laughs> Uh, because I, because I lost, I did the same diet when I did this movie called the master. Yeah. And, uh, that was also very physical and I don't remember ever being, uh, injured. So I think the difference might be the, the 10 years (laughs) that I've aged uh, since then. I just wanted to ask a bit about the, the journal, um, which I I think, am I right in thinking you, that was all written by you. Mm -hmm. You have this sort of joke diary and journal. Mm-hmm. So, like, talk me through that process. Was that written, like, all in character? Were you thinking, trying to get in the mind of Arthur Fleck and, like... Writing? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't in character. I was, I was trying to find it. It was very, mm-hmm. very early on. And usually somebody else does that work for the actor because they don't have enough time mm. um, to fill up a, a journal. But I had gone to New York a month in advance because I wanted to, to just be with Todd and spend a lot of time and, and rehearse a lot. And so I was given the journal. I said, I have the time. I think that I can, you know, I can fill this out. And so I got the journal along with several different magazines. because We were going to do kind of cutouts of the magazine that we would paste in there. And initially I got this journal and I pulled out the pen and I opened it up and I had nothing. I was like, wait, what the fuck am I writing? I don't I don't know what to do. What am I, what am I doing? And uh, so I, I texted Todd. And I said, you know what? I don't, I don't even know where to begin. And he said, I'm going to, let me send over something. And so Tim and Scott Silver had sent over this, this story that they imagined was something that he might've kind of like written about. Mm. And so I started writing that out and it just 
for whatever reason, it, it opened up something in me. And, and then I just, you know, every day I just would fill the journal up. And, and um, I have a lot of really stupid, bad jokes. <laughs> and, um, and so it was perfect for the character. Okay. And so I wrote, I wrote those down. But then I remember he, Todd had sent me a photograph of the, the steps that I, that I take um, to get home. And I remember looking at that and, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to go to that location until we were actually shooting. But seeing the image of it was really powerful. And I remember that I just wrote step after step after step after step. <laughs> and I filled like three pages with step after step. And something about doing that fucks you up. I can imagine, yeah. I don't... It's like Jack Nicholson in The Shining sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Can you remember any of the uh, the jokes you wrote in there? Were there any classics like you want to oh, share? No, 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 no. You no. sure? You sure? No no, 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 no. That's just for the journal and you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I just wanted to ask briefly. You pick so many interesting roles in in your work. You've got we work with really interesting directors like. Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Lynn Ramsey and, and now Todd Phillips. So like, how do you choose a role? Like, what's your criteria? Do you have like specific criteria or is it more sort of on instincts? Uh, honestly, it's very simple. It's just the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's really that simple. Yeah. You know, the difference between like a good actor and a great actor is a great director. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's, it's simple. Um, so... Yeah, that's what that's what I look for. I mean, more than the budget or whether it's studio or independent or what the genre is, none of those things matter as much as who the filmmaker is. And sometimes it's just sometimes it's just whether you like the person or not, whether you feel like hmm. oh, I can spend three months with them and, and, and you know, we have a, a similar kind of idea of what this, this could be. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, the, it's always the filmmaker. And I guess if you're spending every waking moment like you were with Todd, then you kind of want to get on with someone like that right yeah for sure yeah yeah i mean i've been i've been in situations where you didn't really get on with somebody and it's really? awful yeah i can yeah. imagine yeah. Joaquin, thank you so much hey for your thank time. you yeah great. great talk to you cheers all right so that was Joaquin phoenix and now it is time to round off the show in the time honored tradition of the live shows with an audience q a if you've any anything and why the hell would you but if you have anything you want to ask these three giggling idiots in front of you then uh, put up your hands and uh, I'm going to take up this microphone and you're going to have to come to me because it's a wired microphone and I can only stretch so far so there we go so if you come down here and sort of like a comic con style form an orderly queue or a disorderly it, queue that's or yeah too. don't take a leaf out of the Joker's book and uh, hopefully there'll be more than three of you that's good excellent alright okay, I'm coming over now Hello. how are you? I'm okay I was worried I was a bit keen then I was at the front of the queue <laughs> Tossing people out of the way, you were kicking people in the face. It's all good. Uh, what's your name? Robin. Okay, you must like the Joker, Lynn. Uh, so, what is your question? Um, with Dolly talking earlier about "Can you ever forgive me?" Mm-hmm. and Richard E. Grant famously does not imbibe, but is excellent yes. at playing under the influence. I was wondering because uh, I'm teetotal as half the Empire yeah. podcasters. <laughs> um, what some of your favourite performances of under the influence actors would be? Of drunkenness. Oh, that's a good one. Or, 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 or highness one. or anything. Ooh. That's a great one. That is a good I've one. got one. I've got one right off the right off, okay. right off the top of my head. Um, Peter O'Toole, you're in my favourite year. 
I'm not sure how much he was acting, but <laughs> in fairness, yes, he, he did was, imbibe. He did imbibe a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Even now, I think he's imbibing somehow. Um, yeah. So he plays. Uh, this is based on the uh, on Errol Flynn, actually. So he plays a very louche matinee idol called Alan Swan, and I believe it was also based on the experiences of young Mel Brooks. So young Mel Brooks in like 1940, 1950 or something like that, found himself as an intern. Uh, and one day he was basically given Errol Flynn to look after. And Errol Flynn was a hellraiser par excellence. And what happened was just madness. And so this film portrays that, but changes the names to protect the innocent or the guilty. And uh, so you have Mark Lynn Baker, who if anyone remembers, cousin Larry from Perfect Strangers, and also who stars in the Noises Off movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it's all coming full circle. All coming full circle. So he plays effectively young Mel Brooks, and Peter O'Toole is, is this great, like I say, louche guy who's got loads of alcohol running through his veins. And it's really, really fun. Really, really funny. And there's a moment... Uh, Bit of a problematic moment now, obviously, but there's a moment where uh, drunkenly Alan Swan bursts into uh, the ladies' toilets to have a, a slash, and uh, there are two old biddies in there who are stunned by his presence, and he's, well, shall I say, he's got his lad out, shall I, you know, that, let's just do that. And uh, the one old lady goes, Sir, this is for ladies. And he looks down and he goes, And madam, so is this. Uh. But I have to run a little water through it now and then. That's one of oh, the best boy. lines from that film. It's fantastic. So there you go. My favorite year, Peter O'Toole. There you go. That's my answer. Guys. Thanks, Chris. I was uh, going to say uh, Brad Pitt in True Romance, given that we opened it up beyond good, alcohol. Good. Oh, um, yeah. Again, he may... I don't know how much method acting was going on. I don't want to speculate. But um, that is superb high acting. I believe I don't know. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> Uh, I would say I like Anthony Michael Hall's Breakfast Club, but more than that, he's drunk in Weird Science when he's when he's playing with Bill Paxton's face and just falling there. That I love that. I think it's genius. Uh, but also uh, Nick Cage in all of Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, very, that's very, such very a heavy no, that's man. I mean, but that's really like, depressing, and that's at the other oh, end of the spectrum. Yeah. Have you ever right. seen like the? He's uh, not the kind Lost of drunk you'd want to be around. Whereas Anthony Michael Hall, I think, would be loads of fun. Yeah. yeah but, right. So my own problem with Anthony Michael Hall is the breakfast. First club. of all, that's a sentence that should never come out of I'm anyone's sorry. mouth. I'm sorry, but I hate the high acting in the Breakfast Club because they all they all sit around and smoke pot and then they go mad and run around the library. <laughs> Do you remember that? And I'm yeah. like, what was that? An odd strain? Like, was it laced with something? Like, since when? When is that the reaction that everybody has? It's like they were on ecstasy or something. I, I hear, I don't know. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. It's, it's, it always struck me as bizarre. It really, genuinely, it's my least favourite scene in The Breakfast Club. God, you're it. just pissing on everything I say this evening, aren't you? <laughs> so, Richard DeGrance, your, your favourite, Robin? Uh, yeah, there's a recent good one. I like the girls in Booksmart with the strawberry. Yeah, yeah. And they thought they were really dolls. Good. And oh again, wouldn't know, but I was like, it'd be fun to be a doll, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. That's genius. That is genius. Fantastic. Thank you so much indeed. Robin, everybody. Woo. So does everyone know the story of how Richard E. Grant is not just a teetotaler, but he's violently allergic yeah. to alcohol. And so when he took the role of Withnell, he had never really been drunk before, but he had to have, he wanted to have, and Bruce Robinson wanted to have that chemical memory, that sense memory. So they went out and got absolutely shit-faced and he, re- he basically recorded the whole thing and it just felt awful. Like, have almost an allergic reaction to this alcohol. But, you know, it worked out in a pretty good performance, I would say. Hello, sir, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. What's your name? Al. Al, excellent. What's your question, Al? Um, well, 
I don't know about you, if you guys agree, but I'm a big fan of your impressions oh, on the oh front. Yes! Uh, specifically, uh, Peter Dinklage and Jim Broadbent. Oh, boy. Um, oh boy. I'm sorry, but I really like them. I was wondering whether, though, if you, you had don't any... have to work with him every day. <laughs> There's, and this is an absolutely true story. You were come, where were you coming back from with Nick? Um, where all through at the airport while waiting yeah. for the flight he refused to come out of character as Jim Broadbent no, it to wasn't, the point it where Nick just, wanted it, to kill you it wasn't just that uh, so Nick and I were coming back from Comic Con one time <laughs> and we got to the airport and I suddenly decided wouldn't it be fun if Ray Romano and Jim Broadbent <laughs> accompanied Nick alongside him and for 15 minutes Ray Romano and Jim Broadbent were having conversations <laughs> and Nick because uh, the, the one thing that the, the, Nick cannot hide his anger at this, and that just makes me double down. <laughs> you know, so I was like, hey, Ray Romano's here, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, well, and Jim Broadbent would go, oh, hello, it's a little bear. <laughs> and that would be literally what they would do for 15 minutes, but, you know. <laughs> Ray Romano, that's all you do. Well, the, the question was, uh, <laughs> uh, whether you have any that you've not premiered yet, whether you'd be willing to do them here at Liverpool. Oh, God. Have you and, done whether, and whether you guys actually have any that you've just kind of been more, you know, quiet no, about? Not, not really. We desperately try not to. I think Chris has this particular <laughs> annoying aspect of the podcast. Uh, it's, it's, I think Chris's capering as Danny Boyle is often a favourite of John Nugent's in The Office because it doesn't oh, just cool. come yeah. with the voice. There's a, there's a particular physicality to it, yeah. which often involves you sort of like dancing around behind him while he's trying to write. Yeah, uh, so I do niche impressions. <laughs> <laughs> they evolve. They evolve beyond the boundaries evolve, of the yeah. person who spawned them. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, and they bear no resemblance to the person they're meant to be. That's but uh, Dan Danny Boyle, I, 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 he pl I play him as a, a capering imp. <laughs> He's a man who's really enthusiastic about everything. Hi, everybody. I'm Danny Boyle. I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. I love it. I love film. I absolutely love it. So what I'll do is I'll go up to John. I'll get around him and I'll get right up to his face and go, Hey, John, I love movies. I absolutely love them. They're great. I love Ewan McGregor, apart from that moment where we fell out. I didn't love that. Didn't love that at all. So that's Danny Boyle. He capers. He jumps around like a little imp. A little Corchester. That's Danny Boyle. That's what he does. Don't applaud him. Don't, Don't applaud. applaud. Don't encourage me. But thank you very much. Cheers, Al. Thank you. Hello, sir. Hello. What's your name? That's Darren. Darren, excellent. Uh, what's your question, Darren? Uh, my wife is not a movie fan. I've struggled for years. Is she here? No, she's not. <laughs> but she asked me to ask you this question. So she grew up in the 80s. She loves Steve Martin, Gene Wilder comedies, things like that. What would you say is the modern day equivalent so I can get her back into watching films? Oh, modern day Gene Wilder, modern day Steve Martin. <laughs> Holy shit. Ooh. Has she seen all the Steve Martin, Gene Wilder movies from the 80s? Because just watch those, they're really good. <laughs> There's a book called Wild and Crazy Guys, which yeah. is totally right. You should read that. Um, I don't feel like we've got comedy stars right now who do that kind of, you know, the, not the same shtick, but who have a shtick and do a shtick in every film. Like, it doesn't really happen. Um, so we have great comedies, I think, and obviously Booksmart, I mentioned already, like, I think is one of the great comedies this year and, and really any year but um, but it's not there isn't a you know a hook in the same way that they kind of had almost persona that they played and I don't know who I mean Will Ferrell I don't know who does that um, it's, it's really tough mm. it's really tough because like a Seth Rogen is someone who'll make a comedy every year or so yeah well, a bit, a bit more, would, a bit less nowadays. Yeah, but would you say that you you put him in the same bracket as a Steve Martin or a 
uh, or a Gene Wilder. I'll come back to you in 30 years. Interestingly yeah. enough, I don't know. It's like we've talked about this in the podcast, mm. but the, the mainstream Hollywood comedies of the last few years, I mean, Booksmart's amazing, but it's not a, it's not a mainstream yeah. comedy, uh, are not as funny as some of the big blockbusters that come out. I don't want to mention... The Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously, but those <laughs> movies like Thor Ragnarok and Homecoming and Far mm. From Home are as, as funny, if not funnier than anything, sadly, because I love him. Will Ferrell has made in the last five years, or Jim Carrey, who seems to have actively moved away from comedy. Mm. Interesting enough, I, I feel that sometimes Ryan Reynolds is the great untapped yeah. comedy He's star. Yeah. A very he funny guy. genuinely... One of the three funniest people I've ever met. Mm. He yeah. is so smart. And he's smart. funny off the cuff. Like he, he, James is, that is That's all coming out of him. Uh, that's fair. He has a shtick as yeah. well. Yeah. You know? So that's yeah. a good answer. So there you go, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. So uh, I would recommend starting with Fan Wilder Party Liaison. Oh, no, don't do that. And then stopping <laughs> immediately. Just stop dead after that. Um, but yeah, just rewatch all of me, man. Just <laughs> Steve Martin, that's where it's at. All right. Thank you very much, Darren. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Cheers, man. Thank you. Hello. Hey, man. You all right? What's your name, man? Stu. Probably the only Man United fan in the room. Oh, oh. you're a brave man. You're a brave man. Uh, what's your question? It's uh, MCU themed. I'm hoping you can settle the disagreement between me and our friend up there. Okay. What is your singular favorite MCU, MCU moment? And if it isn't one of these two, what is the better out of okay. Thor arriving in Wakanda uh -huh. or Portals? It's, 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 it's Portals. Uh, it I've is said, Portals. I've said this in the podcast before. Portals isn't just the greatest moment in Avengers Endgame. It's not just the greatest moment mm. in the MCU. It's yeah. the greatest moment in my life. And I think, <laughs> with a possible in exception of Istanbul, but I think uh, it is also the greatest moment in human achievement. Yeah, human, yeah. All of human but history. It comes so close. So for me, like the greatest moment was when Cap, gets me on yes, this moment <laughs> and that was like the best moment ever and then the portal thing happened i'm like no 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 this is the best yeah. moment ever but that that you know when mjolnir comes back into his hand like that oh. I've, it's really hard it turns out <laughs> it's really difficult to scream and clap and cry at the same time. Like, but you gave it a good old go. I, I, really, I did. I, I managed all three, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I was out of my body for a minute. But that was incredible. So, yeah, that might be my favorite. Yeah. I, I was trying to think, like, could I be cool and think of something from, like, Winter Soldier? But no, honestly, it's, it's yeah. probably that. also a massive fan of The Snap. And not just because Thanos is awesome, oh but uh, also, but just just the fact that it happens and then you watch it roll out and you see all these characters and you're like, what the Fuck. And then the fucking film ends. Yeah, it is awesome. But yeah, sorry for the really, really predictable answer for portals. There you go. Thanks very much. Good luck. <laughs> Last question. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm Craig. Excellent. Craig, what's your, what's your question? Uh, my question is about sort of uh, working at Empire and how does it feel Fairly. or how does it affect you when uh, you build up a film over a few issues? and <laughs> you perhaps do cast and crew interviews and then you put the mm. film on the cover of the magazine and the film comes out and it's shit. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, we I mean, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, it, it is, it's actually kind of hard. So one of the reasons that if you go on set, you don't review the film yeah. is because you go on set and you talk to people who are working really hard. They're really good people generally, working really hard on something to make it great and to make it original and fantastic. 
and you hope for the best for them and you get really quite invested mm. uh, in in their success so that's why we don't let you do the review if you've done the set visit because you're kind of just you're almost willing it to be good you know you're just like please let it be good and sometimes it isn't uh, so that is always kind of disappointing um, I, I, I firmly believe nobody sets out to make a bad film and that yeah. is that is yeah. why we are and I know people just accuse us of being studio shills or whatever but honestly the reason that we are upbeat about film is generally a we love film but also even films that don't look like they're going to be great can be amazing and and we always hope that that's the experience we're going to have so that's why it is always christmas eve right up until we see it and then we try to look at it with clear eyes and hopefully see its flaws whatever they are yeah. um and we don't always manage it but it, like it genuinely we're gutted sometimes like we, there have been mm. films that we've come out of and just like sat around alien versus predator oh my god <laughs> we came out like there were about six of us and we were just like yeah sit, we sat in a coffee shop for like an hour and a an half hour, just yeah. talking Crestful. about like it was an early spoiler special we didn't take we sat there just and every so often the, the conversation would drift away and then somebody would go and that bit was really bad. The Hunter's we... Moon. Don't even get me started. <laughs> yeah, I've only seen that film once, but it's embedded in my yeah, head. Because we, we went and we sat in the coffee shop for an hour, but then we also went for a curry for I another know. hour yeah. and did the same. We were literally we... out until like 11 o'clock at night just talking about how bad this film had been. Remember we did the same post-Robocop remake? Me, you and Nick, we went oh. to a curry house and we just sat there disconsolate <laughs> really for like two hours. Like this has ruined our lives. Yeah. But then the reverse is also true. Like yeah. when we came out and we did our sort of post post-Endgame breakdown and we were all sitting there just buzzing with excitement. So. Oh, I wasn't there, guys. I wasn't because I... I, you, I that's right. didn't, we, didn't you call in? Didn't uh, we yeah, get yeah, you on I, the phone? I, I think I'd just seen it at the uh, world oh, premiere the night before. Yeah, but, and yeah. I, I was busy yeah, writing the reviews. Oh, that's so right. Yes, you had like 10 minutes to write like a thousand yeah, word review. I basically, I, I had 35 minutes to write yeah. the review of both Endgame and uh, It doesn't, it reads like We looked at all possible futures and there was only one in which you turned it in on time. That sort of pressure, honestly, Helen is a machine. Yeah. I've seen, I've, I, what was it we saw? Rampage? I want to say it was Rampage. <laughs> no. And we went to see, it was something like that. It was sort of When science thing. shits the bed, she's the one who cleans the sheets. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Helen and I went afterwards to a coffee shop. And she was like, I've got like 20 minutes to write this review. And I just watched her do it. And Kim Newman's the only one who could do that as well, where you, you, you'll email Kim in the morning and go, hey, Kim. Uh, I need 400 words on this movie, and it's delivered to you before you've even sent the email. Yeah, it's kind of true. it's kind of crazy. Uh, but I, I've had that experience before. Is when you go instead of a movie, by and large, especially when you get to a certain uh, position at Empire, it's because you really are interested in the filmmaker, mm. or interested in the subject matter, or interested in the film or the franchise, uh, and you think it's going to be really, really kick-ass and cool. So, vehicle reversing moments I remember are uh, Van Helsing, which <laughs> I thought was going to be amazing. It's from the director of The Mummy Returns, you guys. How, what could possibly go wrong? And I went and sat, and I was like, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, and then I think we put it on the cover. Yeah, we, we did. did. We yeah, did put we did. it on the cover. It was one of my first cover features. And, uh, but you could just sense the air coming out of the balloon before it opened. And it, it's an awful, awful movie, sadly. So that was one of them. I was so excited about Snakes in the Plane. I was you the were. news editor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we went to see that, yeah. Ironic kind of way. And so I decided that every month in the news section, we would dedicate a page to a different aspect of Snakes in the Plane as it got closer and closer to its release. And I got in touch and, and kind of befriended the director, David R. Ellis, um, who's now 
passed on and uh, he was such a lovely guy and he got the concept that he got what we wanted to do and then he saw the movie and it's like ah oh, it's a nice try but it's just not quite there mm-hmm. uh, and that was a kind of vehicle reversing moment forget that we <laughs> did a whole year as a coverage of sex in a plane uh, let's just move on and uh, get on with our lives yeah and on that note that is it for this live podcast brought to you from fact in liverpool uh, thank you so much once again to sam clements and the picture house team for making this happen to martin colin and all the staff here for making us feel so welcome. To everyone who gave us spot prizes, I've forgotten who they were, but thank you very much for giving us spot prizes. I hope you guys enjoyed them as well. And uh, thanks, of course, to our amazing guest, Dolly Wells. <laughs> and of course, thank you so much to you guys for coming out and showing your support for, for this madcap adventure of a tour, uh, especially when there's a much better podcast happening just on the road right now. So thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. Next week, again, going full David Dimbleby here. Next week, we're going to be in Brighton. And if you haven't already got tickets for that, I think I think it's sold out. But there might be a couple of tickets still uh, knocking around. And we have a couple of great guests lined up for that one. Uh, I may not be around to do that show, actually. So you'll be in very capable hands with, uh, with Helen and Jimbo here. Or semi-capable hands. You'll be in hands, hey. basically. Uh, the week after that, we're going to round off the tour in Belfast. Hooray, Helen, Hooray. we're going home. So we are uh, with oh, what is going to be our biggest ever show. Christ, God help us. They've this to a bigger venue. So if you're listening to this and you live in Northern Ireland or Ireland, uh, do go along to the Cinemagic website. We're there as part of its uh, 30th anniversary to pick up uh, some tickets for that. Uh, right, and all that remains in the meantime is for me to say goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye, what's your name? From James Dyer, everybody. Bye, Chris. And it's goodbye from me. I have had a very long day, very, very long week, and uh, I'm off to get some sleep. Uh, You know what, guys? In a weird way, I feel like there's a storm cloud hanging over me. But you know, when you walk... Oh, God. ...through a storm, hold your head up high. Wise words. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye! (laughs) 